and join us at that meeting. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was a little teary-eyed during the worship song this morning, so I was like, oh, it's a little choked up. It's good. Um, one last thing. I just want to give a quick thank you again. One of the things that I really love about our church is that it's not a one-man show. Like, it's not just all about the staff doing everything, but we really are the body of Christ and everyone learning their spiritual gift, learning their heart, their passion to be a blessing to one another. And so I just wanted to say a quick thank you this morning to uh, uh, Manal. You might not know who she is, but she's usually crawling around on the floor on Sunday mornings and you're like sitting there going, what is she doing? Well, she's taking pictures. And then you might be going, why is she even taking pictures? That seems silly. Who cares about the clicks and who cares about views on social media? Well, social media has really become our portal to the outside. (laughs) Think about this for a moment. Have you ever decided one Friday afternoon to go walk into a mosque in one of their prayer meetings? No, it wouldn't even cross your mind to do that. I've actually visited a mosque several years ago. There was a prayer thing going on, and so we had gone, and I walked in, and I had no clue what to do. There were no ushers, no greeters. There was no nothing. It was literally literally this little tiny foyer with closed curtains. I had no clue. It's like, who am I going to offend? Who am I going to upset? How am I going to, like, you know, like, break some sacred cow? It's very stressful. Well, guess what? The world thinks about us the exact same way. The exact same way. Right? And so this is why social media and these tools help us break down those barriers. Right? Those pictures, those sermons, those clips, those quotes, all of those things. It's not about clicks and likes and YouTube algorithms. It's about breaking down the stigma of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to let people know that they're loved by God and that they're welcomed by us. And so I encourage you, interact with that stuff. Click it, share it. You know, because the more we do that, it just helps to break down the barriers. So I'm very grateful for Manal and the other people who serve in that area of ministry, because it really does make a difference. <clears throat> Excuse me. So today we're continuing in our sermon series, um, going through the book of Romans. Uh, I get it. Romans can be a little tricky to follow. It could be a little head heavy at times. Um, and today's message will fall into the category of head heavy. Now, if you're a heart person, you go, oh, I don't like head heavy stuff. You know, don't tune out. Okay, and if you're like a head person, you're like, it's about time that we're doing something a little head heavier. Okay, we're all going to kind of meet in the middle here. Because again, what we've been saying throughout the several weeks we've been doing this series is the reason why we have to look at what we believe, what we think about God, is it actually changes our hearts, (laughs) It changes how we behave. It changes our view of the world. It changes our view of God's place in the world and his interactions with humanity. And so this is what we're going to kind of talk about today. I want to talk about grace. Now, grace is a very you know popular topic with Christians. How many of you love grace? Okay. How many of you say grace when you eat a meal? Today's very interactive today, okay? So we're going to be raising up our hands a lot today, right? See, grace is amazing to receive. Grace is also, hmm, really hard to give. 
We actually live in a very fascinating time. I don't know if, I'm going to guess humanity has always been this way because humans have not really changed all that much in 2,000 years. Our toys are better and our toys are more expensive, but the human heart hasn't changed since the writing of Book of Romans. So I'm going to guess it was the same 2,000 years ago, but you really see this now because of the rise of social media, is that when I make a mistake, when you make a mistake, you justify it. Well, it's because my mom didn't love me, or my dad didn't love me, or I didn't play enough as a kid, or I wasn't breastfed, or I wasn't this, or I wasn't that. Like we make up kind of we 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 show each other like we we show ourselves a whole. I don't know why I said that one. That one's not in my notes. <laughs> my wife will tell me in the car. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. But we do. We make up excuses for when we hurt people. Right? Well, just show me great. I had I had a bad week. Okay, I said something stupid online. I, I had a bad week. You know, I said something mean to someone. Well, it's because someone said something mean to me. Like we, sh- we 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 desperately want grace, right? When we mess up. But oh boy, if someone messes up to us, we want justice. I don't deserve to be spoken to that way. I don't deserve to be treated that way. How dare you? All of these things. That person needs to be fired. We need to cancel that company. All of these things. It's a weird, weird time that we're living in. And all of us as individuals are running around trying to seek justice from one another in all these conflicting worldviews. And you wonder why the world feels a little angry right now (laughs) and why the world feels very divisive right now. It's because we've lost, and I think sadly, even we as Christians, we've lost this concept of grace. And so we're going to spend a lot of time working on our head today (laughs) because you got to get your head around the concept of grace, (laughs) Because grace is not simply a New Testament concept. It's a Bible concept. It's not just a Christian concept. It is a people of God concept. Right from the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the very end of Revelation. Grace is incredibly important in our relationship with God, in our relationship with one another, and in our relationship with the world. And so I'm going to be reading here today from Romans chapter 5. I'm going to try to go through it slowly because, again, this is very heady. And this is another one of those perfect examples of the Apostle Paul's run-on sentences that makes sense in Greek, but in English it is hard to follow. So we're going to go through it slowly. I'm going to highlight a few things as we read it. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, follow along so you can see this. You know, if you don't own a Bible, I would love to give you one as a gift today. There are free Bibles in the back. There's some paper Bibles there. If you're joining us online and you don't own a Bible, I'd love to send one to you. Just email me, kevin at greenbelt.church, and we'll send you a paper Bible. Okay, so let's let's go through this passage slowly. And let's unpack this a little bit, 
And let's see how this plays out in the life of the church and in our individual lives of this grace that reigns, this grace that is so central to what we believe. So starts, I'm going to actually start reading in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. And there in, in verse 12, it says, therefore. So let me just stop. I love when we stop on the first word. Okay. Whenever the word therefore is there in English, this is one of these Bible tricks. You got to ask yourself, what is therefore? Therefore, you're all nodding. You've heard this before. Okay. And you know this, but when you read a passage, when you're doing your little version Bible app and you're trying to get your little green tick box that you did your Bible reading that week and you stumble on a verse 12, did you actually go back or did you just do today's reading? <laughs> right. It's, it's always important. You got to take these things in context. Right. And so what the therefore in this case is not just simply the, the paragraph before it. It's not just simply the chapter before it. It's everything up to this point. All these arguments that Paul has been making about Christ, about sin, about death, about salvation. What we talked about last week about justification, being justified before a holy God. That is not religion that justifies us, but it's the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the spilling of his blood that justifies us with God. Talk about sanctification, this process of becoming more holy, of being set apart. That means to be sanctified, that your life is not your life. Your life is God's life. And he has a plan for it. And we step into that and we get transformed by that. Okay. So because of all of those things, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Now he's talking about Adam. And he's going all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Talking about how sin and death came into the world by the disobedience of humanity. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Now here in my translation, there's now a big dash. Because what's going to happen here right now is the Apostle Paul, it's like he, I, kind of, I guess I relate to the Apostle Paul a little bit. The, the, the Apostle Paul likes rabbit trails too. The, the apostle paul gets distracted in his thoughts too so when i get distracted on sunday and i'm saying one thing and i just start talking about something else like it's biblical <sighs> whenever everyone ever says pastor kevin's not a biblical preacher you say yeah he is because he goes like this just like paul okay and, and so so there's this dash so he's going oh all people sin so again we're talking about who we like to blame right we want grace but we want justice how many of you at some point in your Christian experience went, man, that Adam guy, if I ever get my hands on him, because all my problems are Adam's fault. Just me? Okay, no one else has ever thought that way. Yeah, we think this way. It's all Adam's fault because I wouldn't do that. Well, the Apostle Paul has some nice words for all of us. Yes, you would. <laughs> Because it's just inhumanity. If it wasn't Adam, it would have been Kevin. If it wasn't Adam, it would have been Sue. Okay, we all, all would have done it, right? And he reminds us this, all sinned. And we've talked about this a lot already in this series. So now we rabbit trail. To be sure, 
Sin was in the world before the law was given. So he's kind of reminding the people of God. He's reminding the Israelites, go, look, 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 look. I know, because again, we want to make an excuse. <laughs> we, want to make it, we want to be justified. And it's like, well, you know, Adam, can you really blame Adam? Adam didn't really have the law yet. He didn't have the 613 you know, laws of the Mishnah. He didn't have the tradition of the elders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees to correct him and to keep him on track. Adam was by himself, Right? Like, how could you blame this guy? He didn't have, like, a pastor to tell him not to do that. He didn't have a, a Pharisee to kind of keep him guarded. <laughs> right? So you can't blame these people. And he kind of continues, yeah, well, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. And what he's saying here is, like, it's kind of this idea that if you were speeding in your car on a highway that has no speed limit, are you allowed to get a ticket? No, right? There's no speed limit, right? So drive as fast as you want. Now, if you hit another car and do like millions of dollars of damages, are you in trouble? Yes. (laughs) Because the penalty of death is still there. It's kind of what he's drawing here. It's like, again, we're trying to make excuses about law and which laws and which commandments and how do I follow and all this. And he goes, verse 14, like I'm two verses in. See all the rabbit trails here? Right. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. Again, I didn't sin. There's no law. But you did. (laughs) Because there's this moral law on God's heart, in our heart, wired into every single human being, right? Now, he does remind us, Adam did sin. Adam did break a command. This is where I always lovingly love to joke that humanity, like anyone who thinks that humanity is going to solve humanity's problems, we won't. We're just not capable of it. Because we can't even follow one rule. Don't eat that. Well, I guess I'll eat it. (laughs) Man, we're dumb. <laughs> Can I say that with love? Like, we just are. We're sheep. Don't touch the fire. Touch the fire. Don't cross the line when you're swimming. Cross the line when we swim. Like we, ju- we can't even listen to one thing. One. Let alone a million things to kind of make this perfect utopia world that we all have to be in- aligned. Just, we, we can't. It doesn't work. Right, And then it talks about Adam. And so continue here in verse 14, the end. So Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. This is that he's this pattern of Jesus that he's going to explain here now. Or he says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man. Okay, now he's talking because of sin and death that came into the world because of Adam's sin. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So he's kind of contrasting here to how sin and death came into the world by one man and by the one God man, Jesus, life has come back into the world. One brought death, one brings life. That's why it's this pattern, right? Verse 16 Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment uh, followed one sin and brought condemnation. Again, Adam, sin, condemnation. But the gift 
have followed many transgressions and brought justification. That's being made right before God. That's why we say, if you put your faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. None. None. The Christian, as we're constantly striving and working and trying to prove ourselves and make people think we're so good and religious, if you've put your faith in Jesus to save you of your sin, there is no more condemnation. Stop condemning yourself. God doesn't. God doesn't. There's no condemnation. You have been fully justified. Verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And now Paul's trying to bring his thoughts back here and try to land the plane here. And he says, consequently, just as one trespassed resulted in the condemnation of all people, so one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedient, the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. And then he continue, uh, concludes this thought. He says, the law was brought... So that in trespass, so that, sorry, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Wait a minute. Is this saying, is the Bible telling me, yay, I can go sin more? Like the reason I've got the Bible is so that I can actually just enjoy life, eat, drink, be merry, treat people however I want, act however I want, sleep with whoever I want, behave, do anything I want. Because the Bible says we have the law. Sin should increase. No, 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 no. See, what it did, what the law did, (laughs) when we couldn't even keep one, (laughs) it showed us there's 613 more (sighs) that I can't keep. (laughs) You see, Kevin's not good enough and religious enough and smart enough and educated enough. Kevin's not a good enough boy to keep one rule. (laughs) Oh my goodness, what am I going to do with 613 rules? What am I going to do with all these rules and all these traditions and all these commands? Well, what it does is it changes my heart. Where Paul says this, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. When you realize who we are, how God has made us, God's great desire for us. And when we realize there's nothing, nothing, nothing I can do, it just makes grace all the more better. Like there's a reason why grace is good news. Like sadly, we live in a world today where people see church as bad news. I'm bad news. I put something on YouTube and there's the comments show up about how bad I am. Everything I say, everything I believe is nothing but bad news. Because I believe that God's made us in his image. And God wants us to have a right relationship with him. And not only does God want us to have a right relationship with him, God wants us to have a right relationship with one another. 
But in order to have a right relationship with one another, this grace that I have received, I've got to go on a journey now and figure out how to extend it to other people. And it gets messy and it gets complicated. But that's how we see, and this is how Paul finishes this, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the big idea that, again, I know, like this is a short passage here. It's just a few verses. It's like 20 verse, uh, 10 verses, and there's so much here, and it jumps a little bit all over the place. But I hope that you hear this big idea from this text is that in Christ, God deals with people on the basis of grace. In Christ, God deals with people on the basis of grace. Uh, A few things, you know, I've kind of unpacked this a little bit already, but I want to kind of do a little bit more in depth here to again to help you see this to help. Again, I'm going to play in your head a little bit here today. Because I'm hoping as you think, as you process, it will start to work on your heart on this topic of grace, on this topic of justice, and how it all kind of comes together, right? Because even in a text like this, that some Christians will sit there and say, wow, you can get your theology and your view of God's salvation, and you can get your, your view of Jesus and grace that is received freely from this text, if you're not careful with this text, you can actually come up with some pretty bad unbiblical theology. And when you have bad unbiblical theology, that changes how you live. Right? That's why here as a church, we firmly believe in sound doctrine to change how we live compared to bad doctrine. And I don't just mean difference of translation. There are some doctrines that are bad, that are dangerous for us to believe. It's not simply, well, is creation literal seven days or seven ages? You can debate that. Do we do baptism by immersion or is it okay if we pour a cup of water over someone? We can debate that. That's not dangerous. But there are other theologies that take us far away from the heart of God. And we have to be mindful of that. So this is the first one. So a couple of things to help us study this. And again, I hope this is helpful for you this morning. Um, So the first idea that I want you to think about is this, okay, is that salvation is for everyone, but not received by everyone. Salvation is for everyone, but not received by everyone. If you remember, um, on the second week of this series, I gave a bunch of statistics of a recent survey that was done in evangelical churches in the United States. And again, evangelical means you believe the Bible is the word of God. You believe that it's important for Christians to share their faith. They believe there's only one way to God the Father. That is through Jesus Christ. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that he actually meant that. And that one day Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's that definition of evangelical. In this survey from 2021, it said 65% of those evangelicals surveyed agreed that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. 
that everyone is born innocent and it's society that corrupts people, right? It's Canada's fault that you're a sinner. (laughs) It's your parents' fault that you're a sinner. Again, your mommy didn't breastfeed you. I'm going to run with that one for a little bit because I, I, that's my new thing, you know, like things like this, you know, it's all these other people's fault. And if we could just fix society, guess what? There'd be no more sin, right? Again, I don't want anyone to raise their hands, but how often do we fall into actually believing that as Bible believing Christians? The Bible does not teach that, right? This survey also went out and it said 58% of these evangelicals surveyed agreed that God accepts the worship of all the world's religions. That when, again, when Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that that's wrong, right? And so there's tension here, right? And some of this tension of, well, everyone's just going to go to heaven because everyone is good. Well, where does that tension come from? (laughs) Romans chapter (laughs) 5. Because there's one little verse that says, because of the sin of Adam, all are condemned. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, all will be made righteous. Right? It's kind of what one verse says. Now, this is always the challenge of when you study the Bible, when I study the Bible, right? You got to look at not just what it says, but what does it mean? And that could take a little bit of homework. It means you got to read more than just the verse of the day. It means you got to read more than just the little passage. You got to get deeper into it. You got to figure it out. Right. And so this is this idea. Again, when you take just this one verse without studying it in the context of all the other verses around it or Paul's other writings and Paul's other teaching or the rest of the teaching of the Bible, you create bad theology. And one of the big bad theologies that we're experiencing now in the modern day church is a theology which is called universalism. That everybody's good. And that everybody's going to go to heaven. Now just, and again, I'm not belittling you in any way. Please don't hear that. Like if you believe that, okay, I'm not in any way belittling you. But I want you to think this through. Because does this text say that when we went through it slowly? Right? It, it, It doesn't. It sounds awesome. Do I wish it was like that? Of course. It would make church a lot easier. I wouldn't have to preach hard texts. I wouldn't have to weep when people I love pass away and I don't know where they are with God. It wouldn't keep me up at night. You know, when Jesus says words like, you know, you say, Jesus, you know, that I'm Lord, Lord, but I don't know you. And as a pastor, that, that's one of those most heart-wrenching passages that someone could come to the church I led for decades and like church and think I'm funny and like my messages but never come to Jesus. 
break my heart. <laughs> Please don't come here because you think I'm funny. Come here because you want to know Jesus. <laughs> right? It, 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 that theology changes things. Right? And so, again, so this, how do you battle against, again, there's one verse, but again, you've got to take it in the Greek. You've got to take it where it goes. Because... Um, this is where Paul, like, you have to finish his complete thought when he says, yes, through Adam, death came through all people, uh, came for all people. And yes, through Christ, justification came for, for all people. But the thought continues in Greek. It continues into verse 17, where it says, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision, grace? There's a action there. And, and this is why, like, and I get it in theology right now, there's a lot of tension on who Jesus died for. And if you're not familiar with the tension of that, you probably sleep great at night. Okay. But I get it. We're wrestling with who did Jesus die for? Just a few people or for everybody. And we're wrestling with these kind of theologies. And it's good to wrestle with it. But the response that you come to will actually change how you live your life. It really will. If you believe Jesus only came for a certain few people, and there's absolutely nothing that we can do to change that, why well, pray for your lost family? Well, because the Bible says to, okay, but it's not going to change anything. Why well, share my faith? Why well, do all, oh, because God's going to use me to do that, and that's how he's going to do that. But we could actually, if we're just, if, God is sovereign. He's going to do it. Then we would do it. Right. And it gets so messy. And then you get into conversations about free will and all of these kind of things. And it gets really messy. And we're going to talk a lot more about that topic as this series goes on. I'm just kind of showing you again, how theology can drive how we live. I believe Jesus died for the entire world. Just like Adam, sin, condemn the whole world. Jesus' blood is sufficient for the entire world. But is everyone going to heaven? No. Right? That salvation is for everyone, but not everyone receives it. And that thought changes the life of a church. It should change us in our faith journeys. That everyone can know Jesus. And it should break our heart that not everyone will. So that's a, a way to look at this text, okay? knowing that's how grace is playing out here. Second thing, again, this is just a little tip. And I, and I find these type of things help, helpful when I'm studying a text. So kind of think of this like a discipleship thing to help you in your study of God's word. Is um, looking for particular words. Especially if Paul is in one of his run-on sentences, and it's hard to figure out what he's talking about. And here there's a great example. He does it twice, and so you can use this as an example. It's the words, just as, so also. Okay, Just as, so also. They complete a thought. Even though there might be like eight verses in between the just so and the so also, you find those words to complete the thought. Okay? This is how it works. In verse 12, Paul says, Just as sin entered the world 
So also in verse 18, the results of the act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. See, it tied the thought. So you can kind of use it like an example like this, right? Right. So like just as the Toronto Maple Leafs disappointed their fans this year, so also will they continue to disappoint their fans for generations to come. Okay, the fact that Kevin made a sports joke, you got to give me some credit for that one. Okay, like, come on, I never do sports jokes. And you Maple Leaf fans, send me your email, and Elise will, will go through it, and we can book an, a meeting and do some pastoral care. Okay, that's how it works. Now, in between those two thoughts, that the fan, the, the Toronto Maple Police, you know, disappointed their fans this year, then I could talk about the poor management. I could talk about the lack of funds, that they didn't get the good trade, that they didn't get the good players, that their skates were dull, all these things. I can like fill that all in, but then so also it's going to continue. That's how this thought works. That's exactly what Paul just did here in Romans 5. So when you look for those words, it just helps you understand. So you don't get distracted by one verse in the middle of it and build your whole theology on the one verse in the middle of those two thoughts. Right? And then he gives us another example of this just so, so also in verse 19, but he does it in one verse. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And this is just a little Bible tip for you because, again, when we're reading this and we're studying this and we're watching YouTube videos and it sounds good and that theology sounds good, that's why I always say read it yourself. Read it. Read it. It's clear. It's there. It might take a little bit of work to figure it out, but it's clear. You don't need some holy man who has some revelation from the Lord that no one else knows. And he's going to bring illumination from on high so that the peasants can understand the word of God. We don't believe that. That's why we had the Reformation. To put the Bible in the hands of people. Because you can know him. You don't need the holy man. Figure it out. Okay? So there's a tip. And the last thing, another Bible study tip, again, to help us in our heads as we wrestle with difficult things, is the words in this passage, gift and grace. Gifts and grace. Whenever I'm prepping a message, what I do is I take my Bible and I read it. And I read it multiple times. And sometimes I'll read it in different languages. And I'll just read it and I'll read it. And I don't do it on paper anymore. I used to. Now I've been doing it for so long I can just do it in my head. But you might want to have a notepad with you. And what are you seeing patterns in what you're reading? Like are you um, seeing words repeated more than once? Circle them. Highlight them. One of the things that I actually do when I do pastoral counseling with people who are really struggling with how they feel about themselves. This is one of my counseling tips. So maybe if you've never come to see me for counseling, this might help you. Is you read the book of Romans and you underline every single time the book of Romans says in his sight. And you will get to know how God sees you. 
as beautiful, as righteous, as a daughter, as a son, as an heir, as forgiven, again and again and again and again. When you see those same terms repeated again and again. So the same thing in here. In this one little section here, in these 10 verses that we read, gifts, the gift is repeated five times. Grace is repeated five times in 10 verses. And again, this is just one of those Bible study tips is like, okay, if it's in there multiple times, what is God trying to say with this? Again, we're working up here, right? right. One, of, one of the examples is in verse 17, where it says, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? Right. We kind of highlighted this already where it's like those who receive, there's a gift. Like think of it like this, right? Gifts and grace and how they come together. Let's just say, for example, I buy you flowers. Isn't that nice of me? <laughs> yeah, I buy you flowers and I send them to your house. Right. And it's wintertime and it's cold. And, you know, and the delivery man kind of just puts it on, on your, your front step and just kind of leaves the flowers there. Right. And they ring the doorbell. Now, if your house is like my house, my doorbell has not worked in 13 years. Um, it's actually on my to-do list to get to it eventually. <laughs> my house is so quiet. It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> I don't know. That's probably gonna be the last thing I ever fix is that doorbell. Okay. <laughs> but I send you flowers. The grace has been given to you. But you got to open the door and bring the flowers in. You got to enjoy the flowers. You got to put them on the table. You got to water them. You take care of it. That faith journey that we're on, right? If you get the flowers... You go, I don't actually like roses. What's Pastor Kevin thinking? I like tulips. And you throw them in trash. Right? It's kind of how this works. God's grace. And yet man's ability to reject it. And how this mystery of it fits together. I think the gift and the grace analogy that Paul brings out here is very helpful in unpacking this, right? Grace means it's free and it's undeserved. It's free. God's salvation, God's justification being made right before a holy God. It's not through religious rules and traditions and regulations. It's freely, freely, freely given. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt how God views you, and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're standing before a holy God. I remember years ago, I was talking to a guy I used to work with back when I was in computer programming, a Muslim friend of mine, and we were talking late one night while we were working on a contract, and I asked him, like, dude, like, do you know you're going to heaven? And he was like, no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if my good outweighs my bad. Imagine living like that constantly of never knowing. And we as Christians, I think sadly we live that way too much that we just don't know either. 
because our spiritual enemy is whispering thoughts into our brains, <laughs> into our hearts, <laughs> that you're not good enough. God can never use you. God couldn't love you. God won't. God won't. God won't. <laughs> this is why this work up here is so important. It's grace. <laughs> right? In Christ, God deals with people on the basis of grace. <laughs> you just need to accept it. <laughs> You've got to accept the gift. Grace means it's free and undeserving. The gift means you accept it and you welcome it into your life. One of the verses earlier on in Romans chapter 5 that really highlights this gift and grace concept that I didn't read yet, and it's one of my favorite verses. It's this. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of that verse for a moment in light of everything that we just read, all the rabbit trails that Paul brings us on. Yes, Adam brought sin and death into the world. And we have this human nature that we sin we don't have to be punished because of Adam's sin. We're being punished because of our own sin. And you can't blame Adam because if you were there, if God would have created you first, me first, we would have done the exact same thing. And there'd be a lineup of people in heaven wanting to talk to us for ruining humanity. Yes, that's what Adam did. That's where humanity's at. But thanks be to God that even in that condition, Jesus died for us. So what does that have to do with justice? What does that have to do with grace? Everything. The grace that you have freely received. That theology up here changes the life of a Christian. It changes the life of a church. If we're all about just justice, we just want justice, we just want justice, we just want payback. Will people truly ever see the grace? And I'm all for justice. I think justice is an important thing. But our theology of it changes everything. If you think everybody's going to heaven, eh, then everything that we do, why, why grow in your faith? Why grow in your faith? It doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't, doesn't change anything. Why tell kids about Jesus? Why put all this money into youth ministry and kids ministry if it doesn't matter? Because it matters. <laughs> it changes how we do everything here. Right? If, we, if we think that, like all these things, that, that, that you, know, you have to earn grace, <laughs> That when you clean up your life and you perform the way our religion tells you to perform, changes how we interact with people, changes how we disciple people, changes how we use our gifts, our resources, and our talents. Then we become all about behavior modification. And a lot of us grew up in religious environments. I grew up in a religious environment at school where it was all about behavior modification. And what I learned in behavior modification was that God hates me because I can't perform enough. And I was eight 
when I came to that conclusion. And then I spent 20 years believing God hated me. And I lived out of that. I don't want anyone living out of that. That's why this stuff is important. Good theology changes how we live. Good theology is not just simply about defending the truth. It's about letting the grace of God change our lives. So what does that mean for you as we wrap up today? Where have you struggled with receiving grace? Maybe you wrestle with how God sees you. Maybe you've been mistreated by people from church. If that's ever happened to you, I'm sorry. I really am. I believe when the church mistreats people, it breaks the heart of God. And it should break ours. Because God wants grace. Right? God deals with people on the basis of his grace. We've got to figure this out as well. So maybe you need to receive grace. (laughs) And where have you wrestled with showing grace? (laughs) I know I have. And I've shared over the last three years, there's been times when I did not want to show grace. (laughs) When I get some nasty email or some nasty Twitter comment, all that. Oh, like I Twitter, I I, for a while I was dreaming about making an, an anonymous Twitter account and like just like like this angrypastor.com Twitter account or something and just go send. You know, it was like, oh, that would have felt so good. No. It's not good. Don't do that. Don't although you've heard that idea, that's a great idea. I'm gonna do that. No, that's not the takeaway from the sermon today. Okay. How do you receive God's grace? How do you show God's grace? I can't answer that for you. Only God can. So let me just take a moment and pray and ask that God would answer that for you even today. Let's pray. Father God, we are living in a fallen world that is messy, that is hurtful, and is evil. And God, there are days when we as the church wrestle with our place in this world. But God, as sin and death came into the world through one man, Adam, we know that life and life to the full and justification and the freedom from condemnation came through the life and the death of one man, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for that grace that was freely given. God, for anyone here today, in person or online, who needs to receive that grace today, God, I pray that your grace would come into their lives as they accept the gift. (laughs) They don't have to behave to receive the gift. The gift is sitting at the door. They just need to open it. (laughs) And they can open the door by saying, Father, thank you for your gift of Jesus. Come into my life. Make me new. If you pray like that today here on in person, come and tell me in the cafe. If you pray that way at church online, put that in the chat, click the pop-up, let us know. 
For those of you who you've prayed that prayer decades ago and you're just struggling with receiving God's abundant grace in your life, Father, free us from guilt and shame. Free us from condemnation that you have not put on us, that our enemy is trying to keep us under so that we wouldn't show grace to other people. God, free us from this false accusation and false condemnation of our enemy. And Father God, may we be men, women, and boys and girls who show grace to the people who hate us, to the people who persecute us, to the people who think we're weird, people who don't think we're cool. God, let us show grace so that your grace may abound. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that even today you give answers to us as we seek you, as we listen to your still, small voice. Speak, God, because your church is listening. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.